Welcome to the Fellowship Regional Church Podcast. We are in the Gospel of Luke, if you want to turn there. If you don't have a Bible, look, look around in the rows maybe ahead of you or ask the person behind you. There's probably an extra sitting around if you want to follow along. Um, if you're new um, and you kind of want to understand what's going on with the banners and, and the emblems, there should be a little piece of paper nearby. Borrow that, steal it, uh, take, take it home, put your gum in it, whatever, whatever, you, whatever you want to do. Uh, check it out. Uh, we are in Luke chapter 10. We have been uh, going through the stories of Jesus from Luke's perspective. And today we are on top of one of the most iconic, uh, typical, nothing more represents Luke and his writing style and his ability like this, like this story that we're going to read today. Um, this is why Luke's gospel message is what Luke's gospel message is, why it's written the way it is, why we remember these certain stories. Um, this, is, this, is, uh, this is a perfect picture of that. Uh, Luke chapter 10, <clears throat> starting in verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life what is written in the law he replied how do you read it he answered love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself you have answered correctly Jesus replied do this and you will live but he wanted to justify himself so he asked and who is my neighbor in reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him pass by on the other side, but then a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was, and when he saw him, took pity on him. He went to him, he bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine on him, took him to an inn to take care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the uh, innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers the expert in the law replied the one who had mercy on him and Jesus said go and do likewise this story starts off with this passage the passage begins with on an occasion on one occasion and that's the way it starts whenever, whenever you're done we'll We'll get back to it. Begins on one occasion. The word in the Greek is behold. 
Now, this is important, and here's why it's important. When we say, sit down, you got to hear this. When we say, dude, check this out. When we look at somebody else and we say, um, you're not going to believe, you're not going to believe what happened to me just a minute ago. Once upon a time, it is a thing that grabs your ear and draws you in and says, now, this is important. Experience this. Behold. And I think Luke knows that this story, the power of this story, is that that is going to endure through the centuries. And so he says, experience this story. But there's another level to experiencing this story that we'll get to in a minute. He says, behold, an expert of the law stood up to test Jesus. Now, have you heard the phrase, do not test the Lord your God? It's used three times in the New Testament. Do not test the Lord your God. Do not test the Lord your God. Do not test the Lord your God. The word is used four times, and the fourth time is here. A man stood up to test Jesus. Now, there are people who say, this man came with an honest question. I just want to ask Jesus an honest question. But based on the context of where we are in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus has been rejected from places. Disciples he has invited to follow him have rejected him. And then this man shows up. I don't know that within the context of the story we can say, I think he's just asking an honest question. I think what's really happening is this guy is sizing Jesus up. Which, if you don't know, um, backing Jesus into a corner and trying to get your hands on him and pin him down, like, he is slippery. Have you had this experience? Like, he is slippery. Like, he will find a way to just kind of backdoor the whole situation, and you're like, I thought I was doing good. I'm not doing so good. I thought I was patient. I'm not patient. I thought I was, you know, doing, you know, I thought I was a good guy. I'm, I'm not a good guy. Jesus is just slippery. And so this guy wants to pin him down and kind of show everybody, let me show you what kind of guy you're listening to. The expert stood up in the crowd and he asked, you have to remember this question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, if you are a good Baptist, well, you probably don't go to church here. <laughs> if you are, because we're, if you're a, a Restoration Christian Church person, like a First Christian Church kind of person, um, then you engage this question. If you're a Baptist, then you would engage this question. Maybe if you're a Catholic or a Methodist, you engage this question. If I were to ask you, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life, you have a response for me if you are a decent Christian, correct? What do I need to do if I want to inherit eternal life? There's going to be a group of people who's going to say, you have to confess your sins. Okay. You have to repent. Good. You have to be baptized. Good. And, and just, just for the record, this, this next one, it's nowhere in the Bible, but we say it anyway. You have to ask Jesus into your heart. We have this idea of we engage the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? You know what's interesting? Is Jesus does not give him any of these answers. None. 
What do I need to do to inherit eternal life? Jesus doesn't even answer the question. He says, what do you know for sure? What do you know that you need to do for sure? What does it say in the law? How do you understand it? The man says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your strength, and your mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says, good job. Do these and you will live. You know, this answer is interesting. This guy answers, Jesus, love the Lord your God with all your heart and your soul and your, and your strength and your mind and love your neighbors yourself. But that's not the first time we've heard this phrase. This is why it's interesting. One time, a group of guys came to Jesus and they said, what's the most important commandment? And what did Jesus say? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your strength, your mind, and love your neighbors yourself. So this gives us a little bit of a window to look inside that the Jews had a core belief that was this. If you want to love God, you love him with your everything. And if you love God with your everything, you should probably show that by loving everybody around you, just as you love yourself. And this was the core belief. It was for them, it is for us. Do you want to inherit eternal life? Yes. Then love the Lord your God with all your heart and your mind and your soul and your strength and love your neighbor as yourself. And my guess is this. If you will do those things, you know what you will end up doing? Confessing your sins. Repenting. Being baptized. You might even ask Jesus into your heart. I don't know. You'll also love your neighbors yourself as an outward act of the kingdom of God has moved into you and you are now a part of it. You will now exude the kingdom of God by loving those around you as you love yourself. The gospel, uh, 1 John 4.20 says this. If a man says that he loves God but he hates his brother or his sister... He is a liar. For how can you love God who you cannot see? If you can't love your brother who you can see. And see, this is where Jesus gets slippery. You want to put your finger on him and be like, okay, he said brother or sister, who does that exclude? You with me? And then Jesus takes it to the next level. Now, do you understand why Luke used the word, behold, experience this? Because as an enlightened group of facts-based individuals, give me the list of things that God requires. I will fulfill them to the best of my duty. And then when I get to heaven, I will plead my case before the Lord and said, seven out of ten ain't bad. And he's going to be like, eh but I think you're really a B student. And I'm going to be like, everyone thought so too, but I'm not. <laughs> no. It's just like when we send our children to go do something. Here's what I want you to do. Go out, mow the grass, and weed eat. Mow the grass and weed eat. Go to your room and pick up everything off of your floor. Clean everything up. And if your kids were to walk back in and say, do I have to mow all the grass? Well, it's kind of implicit when you say mow the grass. Some of it, some of it, and then the rest of it. Yes, all of it. <laughs> mow the grass. Shoot, do I have to clean my room? All of it? 
Is there a part of your room that's not in your room? No, then yes, you must clean it all. Okay, I've, I picked up my floor. Now everything I own is on my bed. Good? No, not good. God, who can I not love? And Luke says, although we want to dissect scripture and carve it up and say, here's the Greek for this so that we thoroughly understand it, the truth is this. Some passages, passages of scripture, you can cut up into little bitty pieces, but you still must experience them. See, if God's word does not move into your life and then begin to mold you and change you and, and give you new life, begin to bend and pry on some of those old thoughts that have been there forever. If you don't let it do that, then you have not experienced the kingdom of God. You've not experienced the power of God's word. And what Luke is saying is, you better hold on. You better hold on. Here comes this story, and it's going to screw everything up. It's going to screw everything up. I promise you. And then Luke says, so to answer the question, Jesus tells this story. The man says, I want to be justified. But see, here's Jesus' deal on love your neighbor. First John, I kind of like that one. If you cannot love your brother or sister, right, then you don't love God. Okay, because then I can love my brother or sister and I can tolerate him or whatever. But there's some other people who are not my brother or sister I would like to be free to hate, if that's okay with you. To which Jesus moves in on the scene and Jesus says things like, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. How about this? No and no. Pray, pray, praying for my enemies? Dear God, strike them down. You know? Pray for those who persecute you. I pray someone persecutes them. How about that? No. I must love my enemy. Who's excluded from who I can hate? Who can I hate, Lord? That's what I want to know. And, the fair, and this uh, expert in the law is no different. Um, I just want to justify the whole situation just to be clear. Who is my neighbor? Jesus says. So there was a man. And he's walking down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Now, if you don't know this, Jerusalem is high. And I think it's approximately 4,000 feet drop over 17 miles to Jericho. So you're talking some massive elevation. A lot of crags, steep roads, windy roads, hidden roads. It was a place that was called kind of the way of the blood kind of the, the bloody path, because people would hide in these places, criminals would hide in these places, and they would mug people who come by all the time. Everybody knew this. Jesus says, so this man's going from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he falls into the hands of robbers. He is stripped naked, and he's left on the side of the road. Now, being stripped naked is an important point. He's beaten, and he's half dead. That's also an important point. It says, then these three characters come by. Now, they were just like us. When we begin to talk about classes of people, we say things like this. Working class, middle class, 
upper class, right? We say blue collar and white collar. We always kind of group people together. And we kind of grab a hold of, oh, like this group, this group, and this group. And the Jews were no different. And see, there's an expectation from other sides. And if I were to retell the story, the, the, the retold version would sound like this. So there's a man who's broke down on the side of the road, and a working class man came by. What's your expectation of the working class man? Well, of course he's going to pull over. Why? Because that's what we are. Of course he's going to pull over. Because that's what good working class people do. That's what they do. But he didn't. Then a guy from the middle class drove by. He looked, thought about it. Mm, he was kind of busy. You would kind of expect the middle class guy. He's probably been in that situation a time or two himself. Or maybe his dad has and he remembers as a kid being hung up on the side of the highway. But then here comes a guy in an app, I mean a fleet of black cars. He's in the middle one. He's not even driving. He's in the back. His legs are stretched out. He's sipping on a drink while he rides, reading the post. Of course, he's not going to pull over, right? But he does. And the way we measure this is by way of expectation. First, a priest. Now, it is true that if he were to come in contact with a dead body, he would be ceremonially unclean. Thus, he could not go and do the priestly duties at the temple. But he was leaving Jerusalem, right? He was already done. He'd already fulfilled everything he needed to fulfill. But here's the deal. He was in a hurry. Because if he touches this body and the body happens to be dead or the guy dies, he has to go back to Jerusalem for another seven days before he can go home. It's better to just not see him. If I don't see him, maybe I can... And we don't know the reason why. But he just passes on the other side. Now, the law is he would be unclean. But there was another law, another teaching that rivaled that one, and it was this. Preserve life at all cost. It's a law here too, isn't it? Can you pass by a scene of an accident if you were the first one there? Can you pass by and do nothing? You better hope you don't get caught. Because that's, that's, you're in trouble. Preserve life at all costs. And see, everybody within hearing distance would have said, oh, surely the priest will stop. He knows the rule. But he didn't. And Jesus says, then a Levite. So if a priest is top, then the Levite is the assistant. He assists with temple duties, but he does not perform the ceremonies himself. He just helps. He would probably have been a good candidate to stop and help. He may have known I'm supposed to preserve life at all costs, but you wouldn't blame him as much for skipping out on helping the man as you would blame the priest. Like you wouldn't blame the middle class man quite as much as you would blame the working class man. The working class man didn't pull over and help? Then, when Jesus was supposed to say, then a fellow Israelite, because that's the way the group goes. Pharisee, Levite, Israelite. That's just the way they told the joke. 
It always went that way. It's a priest, it's a Levite, it's an Israelite. It's a fellow Jew, it's an, Ezra, it's an Israelite. And see, if Jesus would have said an Israelite, do you know what he could have done? He could have condemned the corrupt religious system and all the crookedness that's going on inside the temple. He could have addressed that. But you know what he would have done? He would have left us completely out of it. Why? Any priests here? Any priests would have been offended by Jesus? Oh, none? No priests? No, of course not. But Jesus chose his words wisely. And he went from Israelite to Samaritan. Calling upon a historical grievance from centuries before. One that we don't even talk about anymore because we don't care. All we know is my dad hated him and so do I. My grandpa was killed by one, so I hate them all. And Jesus says, and then a Samaritan came by. But see, Jesus loves to screw up stories. And he loves to take it to the nth degree. Um, he didn't just stop and say, hey, do you have a cell phone that you could call someone? Okay, well, I'm going to head on down the road. He said, he pulled over. He went over to the man. He bandaged up his wounds. He gave him oil and wine. He put him on his donkey, took him back to the inn. Did you notice that the man even stayed the night there with the man? He didn't drop him off at the ER and drive away. I'd feel pretty good about myself if I did that, honestly. But this man stays and it says, the next day, he went down and told the innkeeper, here's some extra money, but I'll be back. The Samaritan would never help. Do you know why? Two reasons. Number one, if you're the hearer of the story, you think to yourself, the Samaritan, there's no way the Samaritan's going to stop. If the priest didn't stop and the Levite didn't stop, then the Samaritan is definitely not going to stop. If the working class guy and then the middle class guy and then the upper class guy, he comes along, is he going to stop the upper class guy? Of course not. And Jesus says, and that whole entourage of black limos pulled over. That man slipped his, his, leather, his patent leather shoes back on and he got out and he walked all the way over there to this old beat up 64 Ford that was over there smoking and he stuck his head in and he says, excuse me, sir, are you okay? Do you need any help? I got plenty of room. Could I take you back? I can send somebody. I've got a AAA card. Surely not. Surely not. Oh, he must be running for office, right? That's the way that goes. He must be running for office. No, he's not. He's just very wealthy. And he's obviously kind. Jesus says to the man, which one was a neighbor? Which one was a neighbor to the man who had fallen into the hands of robbers? The Samaritan, the, 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 the expert in the law, says to the man, says to Jesus, the one who showed mercy. Would there have been a shorter answer? 
Yeah, there would have. There would have been a much more punchy answer. You know what it would have been? The Samaritan. But the expert in the law couldn't even muster up the guts to say Samaritan. I've noticed something over the years. You can tell how much somebody hates another person by how much they talk about them. You can be really mad at your friend, somebody that you love and care about, and you can talk bad about them and to them. You can be betrayed by family, and they can hurt your feelings, and you can run them up the flagpole, you can smash them on Facebook and Twitter, right? You can hold a grievance against them. Every time you see them, you can snub them. You can belittle your kids if they're disrespectful to them or to other people. But do you know how you know when you really hate someone? When you excommunicate them from your vocabulary completely. Who do you not talk about? Who is in your life or in your past or in your history that you do not mention their name? That is who pulled over and helped. You see, Jesus could have just implicated the whole temple system, but instead he came after us. You hate what you won't talk about. That's hate. That's a nastiness and, a, and an ugly root deep inside that you will never, never get over if you don't address it. What do you not talk about? Whose name do you not say? That's the hate. And Jesus brings it all the way up to the front porch and he says, now you tell me who is a neighbor. You know what else is interesting? Is the man asked, who is my neighbor? And Jesus says, who was a neighbor? Can you hear the difference? Who is my neighbor? And who was a neighbor? Well, it might seem like the difference is small, but here's the difference. Who will I encounter today while I am trying to work for the Lord, while I am on a schedule, and why is it that sometimes I will duck my head and I will avoid the people at CLO who yell my name as I'm trying to get to work so that I can come in and I can work for the Lord and I duck my head and I want to pretend like I'm not hearing them? Why? Because I want to know who is my neighbor to where Jesus would turn and then say, who is a neighbor? And then I have to say, not me. Not me. The application to us, and we, we, we build this up pretty good. Why don't you be a good Samaritan and help other people? Yeah, because that's the point. That's where Jesus was going with that. You should at least see if they got a cell phone. Don't leave them on the side of the road. That's not at all the point. The point was, examine who you hate and then fix that. Examine where it is that you avoid people and where you are in charge of all your spirituality because it's not the kingdom of God in my life. You know what it is? It's the kingdom of me. And you're more than likely, if you play by the rules, to be in my kingdom. But it is the kingdom of me, and it's important that you understand that. It's my kingdom. And if I can fit you in or schedule you in or pencil you in, I will do my very best. But it's the kingdom of me. And Jesus came full circle to say, 
I think you were asked to be a neighbor in God's kingdom, not try to figure out who's your neighbor in your kingdom. You must go and be a neighbor. Here's the implication. Another theme in the book of Luke is this. The kingdom of God is both here and coming. Both here and coming. And so when I get in a relationship to where I give my life to Christ, and then I'm living in this place to where I'm saying, I'm going to go forward and I'm going to let other people know that I'm no longer ruled by these other things. I'm a part of the kingdom of God. So if that's the case, act like it. What's the kingdom of God look like? A a sawed-off snob. That's what it looks like. Me. A sawed-off snob. Somebody who is not willing to give some people my time. No. That's what the kingdom of God looks like. No thanks. He doesn't sound like he's very fun. The story of the Good Samaritan is for me to say, now I remember my role. I am a neighbor in the kingdom of God. I don't have a kingdom. I just get to be a part of one. I am a neighbor. And that will drastically change the way we live life. Drastically change the way we live life. Let's pray and we'll get out of here.